The Classic Comics Forum podcast presents issue number two, Life with Archie, The Married Life, part two. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum podcast. I'm your host, Scott Harris, and today in the second episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast, we're going to continue our conversation with Shaxburg, the founder of the Classic Comics Forum, about the classic Archie comic series, Life with Archie, The Married Life. Last time we left off, we were just at a big cliffhanger where we were going to discuss the shocking death of a beloved character that kicked off the series. So we're going to jump right back into the action. I hope you enjoy. And remember, once you finish listening to the podcast, come visit us at classiccomics.org to discuss what you've heard. Enjoy. So we left off the last episode with a bit of a cliffhanger where we discussed the disappearance of Dilton Doily and the mystery surrounding him and Lil Ambrose. Well, we'll get to those two characters uh, in a little bit, but I think we need to talk about Miss Grundy at this point. And I know oh, are we going to give it away? Are we going to spoil it? I think I think we have to, yeah, because oh. it's kind of hard to discuss um, the arc of the series yeah. and the characters without talking about. I guess we have to go there. We have to go there, um, and I'll just go over real quick. In the in the Archie Mary's Betty universe, uh, we have this pairing <laughs> off not just of the teen characters who are no longer teens, but of the faculty members. Sven, the janitor, ends up marrying Miss Beasley in this. Uh, triple wedding ceremony but at the same time principal weatherby and miss grundy end up getting married as well and he proposes to her after she reveals that she has been given a terminal diagnosis uh, of cancer and this arc goes through the first six issues and uh, in issue six somewhere right between the story about taylor lautner and the one about selena gomez being either sweet or spicy in that same (laughs) issue we we counteract that with Miss um, Grundy's death, and I know this is um, something that you sort of want to talk about, although you didn't want to spoil it. But uh, <laughs> and I know this is like a big a big storyline for you, so I, I wanted to get your take on on that those events. Oh my gosh, you know it's in in we talked earlier on about how the fact that since Betty and Archie's relationship was much stronger, external conflicts had to be introduced. Uh, this was. I don't know if it was the first of them per se, but it was the first one Copperberg seems to have planned. The seeds are there right away. And um, somehow, um, first of all, it should be explained that the covers to these stories give away absolutely nothing. Um, they are terrible in terms of advertising. You can determine nothing about what's happening inside from what is on these covers. And, uh, and I, it never really occurred to me Miss Grundy was actually going to die. I, I really somehow thought she was going to be okay, you know. These are Archie characters, and while we're being edgy and different with them, they, they're immortal. They don't change. And so she dies, and it was so tasteful. It was so profoundly powerful. Um, I know enough about the old Archie comics to realize that Miss Grundy was not a complex character. She was the obnoxious teacher who, more often than not, played the bad guy. And to watch these characters emotionally react to her loss and realize the importance she held for each of them, and to have these flashbacks to moments that she profoundly changed their lives, some of which I think Kupperberg invented, and some like the Moose Dyslexia um, one actually were referencing real continuity. Uh, it was a real tearjerker. And, and yeah, I'm a teacher, so I'm biased, but um, it was just, uh, I think that was by far the most powerful issue of the series. And in fact, um, thanks to you, um, who connected me with someone who was selling some uh, Norm Brayfogle original artwork, I do have the original uh, page of the title page of that issue. Um, I'm looking at it right now on my wall. And um, I would recommend anybody who's managed to brave this far into the podcast and is still listening, at the very least, you need to read the first six issues. And if you're not shedding a tear by the end of that, by all means, stop. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was great as well. Um, I do have a little bit of a different perspective 
Although I didn't have a, a much different perspective when I first read it, because I, I pretty quickly bought the first collected volume, and so I was reading this at the same time that I was first getting into the back issues, and uh, I thought it was it was really excellent. Uh, that issue again, where they everyone's sort of sitting in the um, hospital, uh, reflecting on how Miss Grundy affected their lives, really powerful, very well done, and. Um, it's just a, just a really good story. Now, it also did set up Mr. Weatherby as a um, sort of a more important character in that world. Again, it, it takes place, the, the Betty universe takes place mostly at school because they become teachers. But uh, This was long before that, though, wasn't it? It was before they become, it was actually, I was just looking at this issue. It's in that story while they're sort of in the waiting room where they tell Mr. Weatherby that they want to come back and teach at the school. So That's right. it was just, it was just really good. Eventually Mr. Weatherby has a storyline where he, where he meets uh, another woman and I forget the details. I think it actually doesn't work out, which, which I was surprised at, but it's just, just a really, a really strong emotional story. Uh, really well done. And as you said, one of the highlights of the entire series. But as you mentioned, the, it's almost like Cover Break had more space to do things in the Betty universe because because the relationship between Archie and Betty had so little going on. More space or more desperation, depending, but yes. Well, both of those tie into the other characters I wanted to mention because while there's stuff happening over in the Veronica universe where there was actual conflict between the characters, there was a subplot building throughout the run in the Betty universe involving two other supporting characters, Dilton Doily and Little Ambrose. <laughs> now, Little Ambrose is a character that I was not familiar with at all and I'm still not very familiar with. Anything you needed to know got told pretty much through those stories. I think yes. a lot of people know who that was. Um, yeah, I think I think there are very few readers that had any idea at that point who Little Ambrose was. But for those uh, listening to our podcast, because you know we are professionals, Little Ambrose don't told me. Yep, yep, you're now a professional. It, it just happened. Um, I am ordained as such. Yeah, he's a long-running character who was in um, the series uh, Little Archie, and Little Archie actually began as a joke. The, the guy that was running Archie was at this meeting where the other people were making fun of Archie, he was saying they could basically they didn't have to even worry about coming up with new ideas because they could put out anything with Archie's name on it. And one of them supposedly said they could just do a, you know, a little Archie. And the guy was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so they went back and they did a little Archie and it ran for like 25 years. Was so, that a reaction of little Lulu? Maybe where did that maybe it's possible. Yeah. Um, and the, the series is basically all the Archie characters as little kids I personally, one of my least favorite conceits in all of fiction, especially comic books, is child or baby versions of adult characters. It drives me nuts. I think it's <laughs> obnoxious. I hate the ex-babies, for instance. I just... I grew up on Muppet Babies myself. I know, and I've had this discussion with my girlfriend because <laughs> she loves the Muppet Babies, and I'm like, I, yeah, I love the Muppets, but I cannot at any point deal with the Muppet Babies under any circumstances <laughs> because I'm just fundamentally opposed to the whole concept um so anyway they have the, all the archie characters as little kids and for some reason they introduce a new kid named ambrose in these stories and he's a he's a younger than archie uh and the, and the rest of the gang and basically archie mercilessly like bullies him and mocks him throughout the story but it still allows him to tag along and they have all these crazy adventures where they're like fighting pirates and doing x y and z all sorts of uh absurd nonsense that little kids come up with well in the, in the first issue of life with archie archie and betty are living in new york and archie's having a bad day because everything stinks and so he goes into this little greasy spoon and who's behind the counter but little ambrose they haven't seen each other since ambrose moved away when he when they were like six years old or something and they quickly get reacquainted and right off the bat in that first story the seeds are sown for this long-running storyline that has to do with Dilton Doily and his unexpected intersection with little Ambrose basically Dilton is not present in either of the storylines and there's a mystery where none of the characters have any idea what happened to him all they know is that he had announced this theory that there is that there's actually a multiverse of different alternate universes, and then after announcing this, he mysteriously vanished, and no one's seen him since. And the vanishing was actually planted by uh, Mer Michael Ursuline. It's in that original uh, Archie marries Veronica and Marries Betty storyline, whereas 
most of the other side plots are completely invented by Kupperberg. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like I mentioned, I haven't actually reread that recently, but I did notice. You're missing nothing. <laughs> it's just, I, honestly, if we have not already said it in this podcast, let me go on record. That initial storyline is pretty terrible. Uh, it's not till Kupperberg comes on board it gets good. Uh, there's nothing about a multiverse in there. Uh, I think the only reference is that Dilton has gone missing. Um, that might have been the full extent of it, just sort of the um, what else would happen to this boy genius? Oh, he just vanished in some weird way. I don't know if anything further was done with it. But uh, just as a side note, that does go back to the Michael Ursline stories. It's not even in the trade paperback, actually. I just borrowed that today to uh, bone up for this, and it jumps right to the first issue of the magazine. Listeners at home, if you decide to read this, you don't have to sit through the original version. You can just skip right to the good stuff. Look for the Paul Kupperberg label. Uh, but throughout these first 12 issues, we have this mystery of what happened to Dilton and little Ambrose gets more involved and he ends up uh, following Archie and Betty back to Riverdale. And this all comes to a head in this storyline that runs from issues 13 to 18. And to me, the storyline is, is very interesting. The more you know about Archie continuity, the more interesting it is. It's You can tell that Kupperberg has written superhero stories before because it's basically the Archie Comics version of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Absolutely. So it's really fascinating for comic book readers. The problem that I have with the story is that I feel two problems. I feel like it drove away most of the readership because most of the people reading the book were not hardcore uh, comic book or superhero readers. And it was so fantastic, part B of my complaint, that it really undermined the realistic nature of the stories being told and kind of um, cut the the legs out from, from the series. And uh, so even though on its own merits, you know, as, as someone who is interested in superhero and comic book continuity, I found it interesting. I felt like it failed uh, as a story for this series. I think it did accomplish one important thing. And, and by the way, I loved it, but I am a, a superhero guy. So I can totally see your points all the same about how it drove people away and didn't quite fit the tone. But one problem I think Paul Kupperberg had to contend with is every issue of the story began with a rehashing of what this was. It began with talking about Archie walking the way wrong way down memory lane. And it just felt like a really silly basis for an ongoing series. Um, that basically he's just on a quick walk and he's going to come out of it soon. And this was all just one elaborate multi-year storyline, 30-second fantasy. And so I think by adding some sort of weird pseudoscientific explanation for it, it, it was an attempt to give more credibility to the very basis of the series. Uh, or maybe that's just me. But um, I think in order to stay invested in this, it was hard to just keep accepting the idea that Archie was just having a daydream on his graduation day. I agree with that, but I, I still just, I don't know. I felt like it, I felt like that little recap conceit at the beginning to set up the story is something you could just sort of, you know, your eyes will just glaze over and just not even read it and you could just get into the story. But because this took up so much real estate, it was the main focus of this arc, issues 13 to 18, but it had been building for the whole run. It oh, just sure. took up so much space that I felt like it took away from the series as a whole. Now, the story itself was interesting. Um, basically, just real quick for the audience, what happens is it turns out that uh, Dilton Doily has been traveling back and forth from one world to the next. And basically, in one universe, in, in the Veronica universe, Dilton is basically evil. And in the Betty universe, he's, he's still good. And the two Diltons are kind of fighting each other for control of the multiverse in a weird way. And the, Mr. Lodge gets involved. Um, he's on the evil Dilton side, of course, because he's evil Lodge. And what we end up discovering is there's two characters besides Dilton who can travel between these universes. One is a character we haven't mentioned yet named Fred Mirth. And he can basically travel from one universe to the next because there's no alternate version of Fred Mirth. There's just him in every universe. And, and he's kind of fun, too, because um, whereas Kupperberg feels the need to give multiple sides to other characters, e even uh, Mr. Lodge uh, has noble reasons for why he does what he does, as misguided as it might be. Uh, Fred Mirth gets just to be a complete and total bad guy. He is just through and through and even fools people into believing that he's redeemed himself at one point. So it is fun in a series that constantly reminds us that everybody has multiple sides to them to have that one character you were just allowed to detest. And I also appreciated on, a, on an Archie continuity level, his name, Fred Mirth, 
back when this in the 40s, the Archie comics tagline that they'd have at the top of their books was the mirth of a nation, which is <laughs> such a bad joke. I mean, it's referencing at that point a movie that, you know, came out in 1916. And that was so horribly inappropriate for a kid's uh, joke comic. But, exactly. Yeah. So the other character who can travel between universes, and there's only one of him, is Ambrose. And it turns out that Ambrose, all the stories in Little Archie are actually in continuity. They were all alternate universe stories where Archie and Ambrose were traveling to these different worlds, thinking that, that it was like a childhood imagination, but it wasn't. It was actually Ambrose's like latent mutant ability to travel between dimensions, where they would go and they'd have these adventures and come back. And at the end of the storyline... Ambrose basically unleashes the multiverse and all these different alternate universe versions of Archie, like dozens of different versions of Archie, like all show up at the end of the storyline where by that point, the Archies from both universes have crossed over and are, have teamed up with each other along with Dilton and Ambrose to try and set everything straight defeat evil Dilton, defeat Fred Mirth. And it's really, there's a really cool full page splash of Ambrose sort of unleashing the multiverse and you have all these different versions of Archie sort of like flying out of him. It was really great in a, in a again, in a Crisis on Infinite Earths sort of way. And it was intelligent. It was incredibly well thought out. It just, you're right, it did not match the tone of what the comic had been otherwise. Yeah, it totally didn't. Uh, but it's not to say that he, that Copperberger uh, completely abandoned everything else going on in the story because there, during this arc, like right in the middle of this arc, there's another completely unrelated but very important event that happens, and that's issue 16 with the oh, yes. wedding of Kevin Keller. Now, Kevin Keller had just been introduced a couple years earlier. Um, he was introduced by Dan Parent in the pages of Veronica number 202, and he quickly became uh, both a fan favorite and a bit of a lightning rod because it was like, oh my god, they introduced a gay character in Archie Comics, and it's Veronica's new gay best friend, Kevin Keller. Now, at the time, I wasn't familiar with Kevin other than reading Life with Archie, but since then, you know, the I have... I was, was only a year old at this point, if I'm correct about that. Uh, he definitely debuted after uh, the life with Archie the Married Life began. So he was still pretty new when this occurred. Yes, I think you're right. The version of Kevin Keller that appears in Life with Archie is by far the most interesting version. In the initial story in Veronica 202, and it's like a whole arc where he's introduced, it's almost like uh, he's kind of so perfect. He's like a Mary Sue character where it's like, we have this gay character and we, we can't give him any faults because we don't want to make it look like we're saying anything bad about gay people. So we're going to have this, this guy who comes in who's super nice and super smart and super handsome and everybody loves him and he does everything better than all of the other characters so like <laughs> in his initial arc there's a scene where he has an eating contest with Jughead and actually defeats Jughead in an eating contest because of course everything that the other characters do all of their important character traits Kevin has them too but only better and I found that to be super obnoxious. So he, he's a character that's simultaneously bland and annoying at the same time, <laughs> except in the pages of Life with Archie. And I find them to be much more interesting here. One thing that they do, that they establish in the regular book right away, is that Kevin's father is a military. He's a career military. They've come to Riverdale because they move around a lot and whatever. And so in this arc here kevin keller is actually fighting in afghanistan if i remember correctly mm -hmm. and uh, he gets um wounded in action and he is nursed to health by this hot gay doctor guy and they end up coming back to riverdale and in issue 16 they get married and i mean this book just came out in 2012 um so it's only four and a half years ago but it was really controversial. It was like a big deal. There was a ton of press about it. Uh, it was really hard to find a, a reasonable priced copy of this when I was buying it just four months later because there was so much hype about it. We talk about how the covers usually don't reveal anything about the story. This was the one exception, and it was really designed to trigger a reaction. Not only does it say just married with uh, Kevin and his husband, um, clearly having just been married on the cover, but Kevin's in a military uniform. Um, it, it is... It is definitely designed to provoke a response from people who are traditionally maybe not used to this sort of thing. Um, I think that's the most diplomatic way I can put that. Having a gay marriage where the character is wearing a military uniform 
that was designed to be provocative. It was, and it also hints at where the book is going to go after the end of this storyline. Because now, once the storyline ends um, with issue 18 and we, we're done with all the alternate universe stuff, there's sort of, for me, there's a bit of a drag for the rest of the run where in those first issues where things are going, there's a lot of plot development. And it's almost like he got so plot heavy that he was like, you know what? No more plots. No more plots. Because from issues 19 to 35, events take so long to develop. They're just like at an absolute glacial pace. And uh, the one character who has a lot of development going on is Kevin Keller. His storyline becomes very important uh, in both universes and eventually to the, you know, it becomes kind of the focal point of the entire series right at the end uh, because Kevin ends up running for Senator on a gun control platform. And uh, while this is happening, there is basically a serial shooter, a guy who's randomly shooting, he shoots up a mall and kills some people. And it turns out he's specifically targeting gay people. So we have this sort of perfect storm that Kupperberg has created where we have a character who's gay and uh, have as this gun control agenda. And he has a nemesis who is a gun nut who hates gay people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's safe to say there was there were there's a political message going on in the pages of this comic at this time. It, it really all throughout. Uh, Paul Copperberg is very unapologetically liberal, um, and actually I I love following him on Facebook. But one fair warning for this entire series is if you are not liberal leaning, you're going to struggle with this because there's a lot of messages that they throw throughout the series. This being the most overt, but I, I don't think there's a single issue of this comic where. Kupperberg's uh, sense of right and wrong, his morality, and in a very subtle way, the issues he cares about uh, don't come to the surface. Yeah, I agree. There, there's a lot of a lot of issues where it is more subtle, but then again, there's issues where the guy is killing gay people. So <laughs> you know, I shouldn't laugh at that. That sounded wrong. I, I meant to laugh <laughs> at the subtlety, not the topic. I am going to isolate that three seconds of audio and and that and just release that as a ringtone i think that'd be amazing (laughs) the tcf Uh, of the guy who thinks shooting gay people is funny no 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 (laughs) so during these issues there's another major storyline that happens in involving a character that's really gotten almost no screen time until this point and that's cheryl blossom and she is in the series, but pretty early on, she basically leaves to go to Hollywood to pursue her career because Cheryl's like, you know, she's always been the girl who's prettier than everyone and more confident than everyone, and she's going to just make it in Hollywood. And so she's, she leaves, basically leaves the series to go pursue this dream. And when she comes back, uh, she has cancer. She has breast cancer. So here's another, like, hot button. I don't want to say political issue, but um, sort, of a, sort of a political issue. Um, with uh, the breast cancer awareness uh, as a major theme for this, the issues at this time through the person of Cheryl. And uh, it was interesting, but it was also interesting in terms of the development of the character, Cheryl, because Cheryl was always the mean girl. I don't, I don't want to say always, because she did have her own series for a while. And of course, whenever someone is the primary protagonist, they're going to be more sympathetic. So in her own series, she's not the mean girl. But every other time she's ever showed up, she's the mean girl that makes Veronica look nice. And uh, this series... This storyline is very interesting where she comes back and she's in a very vulnerable position and she grows a lot and changes a lot through the experience of having all the people that she sort of treated like a like a total jerk through her life rally around her and help her out. And there's some real depth to her character and her interactions with the other characters in this section. Yeah, that was a really powerful storyline. I I keep trying to ask myself um, where this series begins to dwindle. Um, you keep referring to the idea that there were less plots towards the end. And, and the more I think about it, the more I, I can't see it. Um, between Kevin Keller running for Senate, um, between Cheryl Blossom and her whole quest, uh, Jughead and Ethel uh, getting married, and, and I, I think, if I recall correctly, being pregnant, um, there was a lot going on in this series that... It, Archie ceased to be interesting, at least in the yes. Archie and Betty storyline. Um, there's that whole part where they try to create a whole new cast of characters. Um, the the students of Archie and Betty, the lovable new generation of rascals that absolutely had me retching. It was way too forced and wasn't working. 
Um, but the other characters' quests and the Archie and Veronica storyline continue to be engaging towards the end. And if anything, more bold and more risky until we get to the point that someone clearly set up the series to end. Yeah, just as a side note, there have been several times in the last 15 years in particular where there's been a whole new cast of students introduced for one reason or another. And it, and it never, never works. works. <laughs> it just never worked. Now, there there are some that have come back um, and become sort of minor recurring characters. But for the most part, once they appear, they disappear or they just appear as background characters to be in the hallways when the kids are doing something in Riverdale High. But generally speaking, it never works. And I completely agree with you. That storyline was of no interest to me. It's quite audacity to say... You know, 50 years ago, we succeeded and created a cast of characters America loves. We're going to do it again right now. Yeah, right <laughs> just, now. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> it was ballsy. And, and to be honest, I can name one of those characters now. One was called Soapy. I have no memory of any of the other characters. Yeah, I see. I didn't even remember that much. But now that you've mentioned Soapy, I, I kind of remember that character. But it's like uh, in the early to mid 90s, early 90s, where Jughead in the pages of his comic became... Um, a skater and they introduced a whole cast of new characters um, including a, a female skater who's a rival slash love interest named sassy thrasher <laughs> so like when you say soapy i'm like oh yes that's the that's the life with archie equivalent of sassy thrasher i remember that character and you never really want to be compared to sassy thrasher because that means you've done something very wrong <laughs> Before we get to the finale here and the death of Archie in issues 36 slash kind of 37, depending on how you're counting, did want to talk a little bit about another random thing that like completely random thing that happens during this uh, section of the series that has almost nothing to do with life with Archie itself. And that is, as we mentioned, um, like six hours ago at the beginning of this, um, <laughs> About the time that it, this magazine disappeared from newsstand, they started catering to the direct market and they started doing variant covers. One of the variant covers was by Francesco Francovia and it was for issue 23. And on that cover, he did a version called Afterlife with Archie, which showed Jughead as a zombie attacking Archie. And this was, as far as I understand, just sort of a one-off joke cover that Francovia came up with the concept for and they liked the concept so much that they decided to do a whole series based on that cover. And that became, of course, Afterlife with Archie. And Afterlife with Archie was so popular and critically acclaimed that they ended up doing more books in the series. Uh, I mean, uh, more horror titles, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And uh, there's supposedly going to be a Josie and the Pussycats horror comic that has still never come out. And all of that came about just because of this random variant cover. And to be fair, while that's true, uh, you know, in a larger sense, the whole life with Archie the Married Life comic um, paved the way for a sort of comic like that to launch. Whereas if, as you describe it, uh, starting around uh, 2010, 2011, the Archie publisher was in a way directionless. Um, once the Married Life first happened and they saw the reaction and the overwhelming unexpected media response, they capitalized on it afterwards. You know, uh, Kevin Keller appeared only a short while after that. And then you've got, um, immediately after The Married Life concluded, you had uh, Archie's first racial kiss, interracial kiss happening in number 608. Um, it sort of seemed like they were beginning to learn that while nobody really wanted to watch the core Archie characters change, these shocking moments that didn't ultimately ruffle anything, and of course these imaginary stories too, Life with Archie, The Married Life, and then, you know, uh, Afterlife with Archie, it, it was sort of showing them how to get the public's attention once again, and it's repeatedly worked for them to the point that now Riverdale is, as I understand it, and I still haven't seen it yet, is essentially borrowing from Twin Peaks, uh, just putting Archie in a different context once again and realizing the level of attention that brings them when they do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I feel like um, Life with Archie really paved the way. It was like a seminal book for the company. They experimented with a lot of things that didn't work, but they also ended up with a lot of things that did work and sort of pointed the way. One of the things they did, so I, I can't pronounce the guy's name uh, who who does Riverdale. He's the same guy that um, Roberto Sakara Aguirre, I, I don't know, whatever. Sounds good. Um, it sounds terrible. I'm just going to edit in like a really clumsy audio of me saying his name correctly. Roberto Aguirre Sakasa. 
it's almost like with these series that he's doing, um, he has the same sort of understanding of the characters that we see with Paul Kupperberg here, but he goes in exactly the opposite direction of what he does with it. Like, he takes these character traits, and in Life with Archie, what you see is the characters sort of, uh, you see their best selves. Yeah, they, they struggle with different, you know, problems that everyone has being an adult, but they sort of realize who they are and become their best self while still being true to their original character traits from the from the old comics. In, in like the TV series Riverdale and in Afterlife with Archie, what we see is these characters still being very true to their nature as characters, but it's all their worst parts that are coming out. He's emphasizing all the bad stuff, all the dark parts of the characters instead of the good parts. So in a, in a way, it's kind of fitting that Afterlife with Archie and these other things that he's doing spun out of Life with Archie because it's almost like a dark mirror of this series. It's worth mentioning, I don't think we have said it once, that I think what I love the most about Life with Archie, The Married Life, is how it can depict such real-world drama intention and make you, much like the with with Archie and Veronica's marriage problems I cited earlier on, very, very real-world stuff that feels utterly familiar, the anxieties we face every day, and yet it faces it with such unbridled optimism. By the end, the characters always believe, I may not be able to solve this problem, but I'm going to be okay. And it's a rare, uncynical viewpoint for, you know, the 2010s. So while I, I'm i intrigued by hearing about Riverdale and Afterlife with Archie, it's they very much fly in the opposite direction of that. And I miss that treatment, uh, and I'm sad to see it not exist anymore. So the sales really declined very quickly for the book. Again, I don't have the figures with me, but it by the time they brought it to an end, readership had, you know, it started in around 30,000 and it was down to, I think, less than 10. It really fell off a cliff. I don't know how much of that was the storyline with the Crisis on Infinite Riverdales or how much of it had to do with the change in distribution from the newsstand to the direct market. But either way, the series is coming to an end. So, uh... You know, they started it off with a big media blitz with the Archie getting married, so I guess they figured why not end it with a big media blitz by killing off Archie. And sure enough, it worked, because that was plastered all over the news. And it's hilarious, too, because apparently the media didn't learn its lesson from when Archie married Veronica, which definitely wasn't real. And there was mass confusion once again, where people honestly believe that a publisher called Archie Comic was killing off the character Archie for good, which would have been commercial suicide. Yeah, it, I wonder how much of it was just um, idiocy and how much of it was that they also thought it was a better story. Oh, inevitably, yeah. Uh, but either way, I mean, I remember um, when it was announced reading an article on CNN and, you know, there was all this, you know, they're like, oh, you know, Archie's going to die. They haven't revealed how he's going to die and all this stuff. And, and there's all these, there was like hundreds of comments in the comment section. And I remember I went in there and it was very obvious to me what was going to happen in the last issue. Oh, sure. So I posted a thing saying, you know, uh, as someone who's reading the story, it's really obvious what's going to happen is there's this uh, gun nut who's going to try and assassinate Kevin Keller and Archie's going to take a bullet for him. And wow, just in the responses to my comment on CNN, a lot of people were not happy with this idea. They thought it was, uh, talk about your, your hot button issues. I mean, we've already discussed uh, the political agenda, I think is a fair word, that Kupperberg had with the series. But when you only have 10,000 people reading it and no one else cares, whatever. <laughs> when you have, you know, the front page of the USA Today or whatever, talking about the story, all of a sudden, everyone knows about it. And it becomes a a real lightning rod, which is what happened with this story. Like it really hit a nerve uh, for a lot of people who otherwise didn't really give a crap about Archie. And I don't get the sense that Kupperberg originally meant to go there. It's I, I could be wrong, but it really seemed that the idea to kill Archie was introduced relatively last minute. As late as issue 34, there are still multiple plot lines in the air that never really satisfactorily get resolved. In fact, I recall... Um, I came into this very late. You had recommended it on um, the old classic comics um, section before the CCF. And I had purchased my issues and was getting through them slowly. And it must have been around February, March 2014. Um, I had just read issue 34 and decided to um, do a subscription order. 
And I was about to place a subscription order when literally I went online and saw the news about Archie dying. And I was like, well, there goes that. Two issues later, he's dead. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, in terms of the subscription because Life with Archie is also is the only comic book I ever subscribed to uh, and actually got in the mail. And that didn't last that long uh, for me. I, I basically, I think my first issue subscribing was like 22. And when my subscription ran out, I didn't renew it because it was, the issues were actually coming out. I could get them on the newsstand before they would arrive in the mail and they missed one issue. So I was like, their distribution via mail was not that great. Um, I'm right there because I'd been pulling them at my local comic shop and finally decided enough is enough. I wanted it in my door and uh, never got that far. Yeah, and I wanted to support them directly, which was part of why I did it. So for those who haven't read it, I mean, we've pretty much already said what happens, but uh, what I describe is exactly what happens in issue 36, which is the gun nut uh, tries to kill Kevin Keller, and Archie jumps in the way and gets shot, and he dies. And what was interesting uh, from a creative standpoint about this issue, besides everything else we've already talked about, is that Kupperberg here... Up to this point, every issue has been split into two stories, and other than the Crisis on Infinite Riverdales, they didn't interact with each other. But in this issue, he did one story that was supposed to be happening simultaneously in both realities, which meant that he couldn't refer to who Archie was married to because it was different, and he couldn't get into a lot of the subplots with the supporting characters because they were different from one world to the next. Like, he couldn't mention... The fact that he couldn't mention who Archie was married to meant that he also couldn't mention who Reggie was involved with, for example. And I applaud Kupperberg for pulling it off as well as he did, but I wasn't that excited by just the way it was done because I, I would rather have seen more closure on all those other storylines as well since they're ending the series. And he kind of either had his hands tied or tied his own hands. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. But with that creative decision to do one story that could serve as an ending for both series. It seemed very clear to me, at least, that um, issue number 36 was an issue that was not at all written to the 10,000 or less people who'd been reading the series all along. This was for people who had heard on the news and wanted to read it and could just pick it up without any backstory or confusion whatsoever. And in fact, if you look throughout the entire series, anytime anything major happened in that title, Copperberger had either spent a long time building up to it or a long time exploring its impact afterwards. Archie's heroic dive to save Kevin Keller comes exactly out of left field. It is not the culmination of any internal struggle he's been working towards or any issue of feeling like he's unimportant or not a hero. It just sort of happens to serve a point. And um, quite honestly, issue 36 felt like a major FU to loyal readers. And I understand you go where the money is and nobody was reading the magazine, uh, but it was upsetting. It, it Essentially, it was the death of a comic I enjoy even before Archie breathed his last breath. I agree. Like One, one thing I did like about the story is that, and we talked a little bit about how this right at the beginning, about how they could have continued the series without Archie, is in the second part of the story, it takes place a year later, and we see what's happening with the other characters um, in their lives after Archie's death and how his death has impacted them. It sort of pointed the way for what the series could have been if it had continued. It also sort of pointed as to like we've discussed a couple times, how much more interesting everyone else's storyline was compared to Archie himself, where I think the book would not really have suffered much at all without Archie. And in fact, his death could have been a, an interesting creative choice that could have spurred more interesting storylines in the future. Absolutely. But that was apparently not in the cards. And Kupperberg made no secret of the fact that he was unhappy um, with the series ending like this, that this had not been his decision and that if um, Archie had been willing to uh, pay him to do so, he would have happily continued the series for years and years and years to come. Uh, this was a marketing decision, plain and simple, and a financial decision. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is we've talked about your petition, which they ignored to have it continue. But as we've seen with Ambrose and the, the infinite number of alternate universes, it's important to remember that both of these universes were alternate universes. And so in a way... Anytime Archie Comics wanted to bring the series back, they could easily bring it back. They could pick up exactly where they left off. They could pick up in those universes after Archie died. But there's other alternate universes, you know, that are exactly the same where Archie didn't die. Uh, 
as clearly pointed out by the fact that when the series starts, it says they're telling the story uh, of what happened to get them to the end of the original Archie Marys in issue 600 to 606. Mm-hmm. And Archie does not die in that storyline. <laughs> right. Have, like, they have children. And in the first issue here, it talks about how this is before, like in the first page of the Betty Marys Veronica here, it says, um, you know, this is the story of, of what happened before they had the children. Well, one thing that did not happen is him getting shot to death. So uh, they could easily pick this up. Again, there's just so many options they could do. One thing that they did eventually do, I think it was while this was coming out, actually, is um, they did uh, Archie marries Valerie. Now, that never showed up in the pages of Life with Archie, but in the main Archie comic series, Archie had started dating Valerie from the um, Josie and the Pussycats, and they did a four-issue arc imagining what might happen if he married her in the future. And that's something where I would almost be more interested in a way to see that given a Life with Archie-style storyline because his relationship with Valerie is just kind of more interesting to me than Betty or Veronica. And I think that one suffered from it being a, uh, a much less uh, inactive news cycle that week, because I mean, really also that was, um, you know, the cover to issue number six Oh seven, I think it was the first issue of that arc. You've got Archie, you know, having an interracial kiss, which is I think more jolting and more interesting and more controversial than, you know, the idea of Archie just marrying Betty or Veronica. It's amazing the news cycle didn't pick it up. But um, to go back to one other point of yours, I think, and I wish I could remember the details, somewhere in the Archie Marries Betty storyline, something happens there, issues and issues earlier on, that officially takes it out of Michael Ursuline continuity. Something happens to them that clearly did not happen in the original story, and I wish I could recall what it is. But essentially, at some point, this series took on a life of its own, and the ultimate problem with it is, is Copperberg was playing to an audience of less than 10,000. And so while there are a million ways to bring this back, uh, unless somebody like Copperberg decides to make a little Ambrose obscure reference, uh, there's nobody out there really to pick up on the continuity references should you return to this at this point. And that makes me sad. Had they kept this going at the time they killed Archie, it, it might have still found a new life. People were paying attention. People were buying that issue. Um, dealing with grief would have been a new bold direction for Archie to go in. But at this point, with the series now two years in the past, I, I think it's all but forgotten. And uh, I think it's unlikely anyone ever would choose to pick up the gauntlet again, sad as that makes me. I think you're probably right. But it's a good way to segue into you know what, what the ultimate legacy of the series was. I think the series did a few things. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it's kind of a watershed series for Archie as a publisher. It was sort of their last real gasp at trying to be a a newsstand centric publishing house they moved from newsstand to direct sales during the publication of this and in and completely failed at it but it sort of pointed the way where for what they're doing now which I, I know you mentioned that they're trying to get back into things like the target sales line but like the current uh, line of Archie comics is all newsstands I mean uh, direct sales um, which you know, is is a big divergence. Like they were targeting the comic book marketplace in a way that they hadn't before, because they they kind of just sort of almost ignored their own potential readership by by separating themselves from the rest of comicdom. And I think the Life with Archie series was a bridge for them uh, to sort of get back uh, in the consciousness of the distribution system and the direct sales system. It was a perfect hybrid for the time period where it was innately familiar and yet incredibly bold and different. Uh, whether Kupperberg's characterization or Bray Fogel's art and the imitators who came after him, um, it, it straddled both worlds very well. And I think what we're seeing now is an Archie publisher that's living in two different worlds simultaneously, where you can have your direct sales comics get a lot more different, where Archie doesn't even look like Archie anymore. Um, and the stories read differently and are fresh and original and exciting, and yet you can pick up your digests at a Target newsstand, uh, a Target shopping line once again. Uh, so if you want your vintage Archie, it's there. If you want bold and different or Riverdale Archie, it's there. But um, Life with Archie, The Married Life, is that rare moment in time where they hadn't quite comfortably stepped into that second world yet, and were still trying to have their cake and eat it too, and for a while succeeded at it. It's interesting you mentioned that you can still get 
you know, your version of Archie if you want it from the digest or get the new version. Um, I think that another way that Life with Archie was sort of a, a key book is that it the success of it early on empowered them to try new things, new bold things. Of course, one of the things that they ended up doing is they ended up canceling their entire line of comics and rebooting them from the ground up with new series by uh, Mark Wade is on Archie, for instance. There's an ongoing Betty and Veronica series by uh, Adam Hughes, and there's a Jughead series and Josie and the Pussycat series. That is something I don't think they would have been able to try before. Um, but again, they're sort of learning their lesson from here by allowing the old fans to also get what they want. Because when they canceled all of the original series, what they did was they, the artists and writers who, you know, they let most of them go, unfortunately, but people like Dan Parent are actually still creating new content in the classic Archie style, which is only available in the digests. So for the, for the, Old school readers who are the people, you know, who would be buying the digests at the grocery store, that, that Archie that you know and love is still available while there's a new modern Archie for the comic book readers at the comic book stores. And uh, I think that was a great decision in some ways because um, it really uh, makes the digests more interesting too because previously it was all just reprinted material and now you can get the new material as well as the classic stuff. I feel like they probably wouldn't have have been able to do any of that if if it wasn't for the experience they gained publishing Life with Archie. Absolutely. And you can even argue that in a way, uh, Life with Archie, the married life, put itself out of business um, because things like Afterlife with Archie and, and other such bold experiments, even before the line reboot, um, were inspired by the success of, or at least the initial success of Life with Archie. Um, ultimately, I, I think the series just wasn't edgy enough anymore. It wasn't bold and different enough to get attention from casual readers. And so as a result, it, it's, it kind of, as much as you and I adored it, it, it passed its prime in terms of shock value. And I think that's a large part of why it just wasn't supported anymore, because they'd rather put their energy into things that are Archie with zombies, or Archie, you know, dealing with Twin Peaks type scenarios, or even an Archie just modernized for a 2017 audience. The same characters you've always known and loved, only a little bit older, not quite as exciting on the surface. Yeah, I agree with that. So we discussed what the impact of Life with Archie was for the company. I guess the last question is, um, what's the lasting impact on us as readers? Uh, for me personally, I, I still think that this comic went in places I've never seen another comic book do. Um, it truly, I, I guess I'll begin by saying that I've always been a fan of the potential for soap operas, but I've never found a soap opera I've actually liked. I have tried to watch the ones that come on TV in the middle of the day, uh, when I was a kid, MTV's Real World was happening, um, which was more reality TV. But, you know, I've looked in different places. I've always loved the potential to watch characters grow and change dealing with regular mundane issues. Um, but I've never seen it done well. And this comic went places those things never did. Dealt with issues I've never seen dealt with in a comic book before. And not only made them interesting, and not only made you love the characters, but it also sold me a vision. It inspired me. Uh, because it would first make these characters face situations that felt so close to home, that were so real, that were so true, that didn't allow you to escape into an easy fantasy with a cleanup at the end. And then it would show the characters still being okay in spite of it. You'd watch the worst things happen to them, and somehow they could bounce back and in the end still be smiling and not be in any way soured by the experience. And I've yet to see another comic book dare to attempt that. Um, we talked earlier on about how Doug Mensch is my favorite writer. Uh, because he began to flirt with that when he did his Batman run in the uh, early 1980s, uh, where he'd have Batman just as concerned with his relationship with his new ward as he was with fighting crime and what Catwoman was doing that month. Uh, he pulled punches. It was still a superhero comic book that was mainstream. I've never seen a comic quite go this far before. And more than just entertaining me, it inspired me. And I can say that's true of very few comics I've ever read. And that has been this comic's lasting impact for me. Well said. I mean, for me, part of the impact is that when I read again that that book of the you know Archie's best ar comics in Archie's history that had this, I mean, I immediately fell in love with Archie comics, and a lot of that had to do with with the life with Archie, and uh, you know, I immediately subscribed to it, and I became more and more interested 
uh, in the characters through Life with Archie and through Kupperberg's writing to the point where now, you know, I'm selling off large sections of my superhero collection so I can make room for more old Archie comics. That's awesome. And uh, that is something I never would have thought was going to happen. And like you, uh, I know I love the, the soap opera aspect. It's something that I think is, is seriously missing um, in the comic marketplace. I don't want to say missing because I know there are some out there, but they're much harder to find. One thing Life with Archie did is it brought this type of comic to mainstream audiences. It allowed us to find this stuff. It was, you know, a soap opera comic book that was actually being hyped. I thought that was great. As a kid, I used to watch soap operas with my grandmother. You know, I grew up watching General Hospital and and The Young and the Restless. So, you know, I have a soft spot for soap operas, but it is hard to find good comic book soap operas. Other than Life with Archie, I'd say my favorite. Um, and it, it doesn't come close to the depth of Life with Archie because of the time period it was written in. But Night Nurse is probably the closest thing I had read to like a real soap opera comic book before this. Since reading this, you know, I, I've picked up a few issues of um, Omaha the Cat Dancer is another good soap opera that also happens to have some adult content. But yeah, it's just a, it's a niche that I think is there's no comic that f- that does what Life with Archie does. And as someone who has become a big Archie fan, the the added context of the years and years of character development, the decades of character development, um, for me also adds, you know, something that even other really good soap opera comics could never achieve because they don't have that legacy to build off of. I wish it had never been canceled, of course. I wish it had kept going uh, because I, I feel like there was a vast untapped you know, a whole life ahead for all of these characters that would have been really interesting to explore. And I think and, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the the rich history, because I think more than anything else, what makes this more powerful than really any other soap opera I've ever seen before is the extent to which the writer truly loves these characters. I, I think that's very different. A lot of soap operas find their conflicts each week by muddying and sullying and ultimately making their characters into despicable people. Paul Copperberg, you can tell is deeply and truly invested in these characters and cares about them as if they're real people. And as a result of that, it keeps you coming back each time, not just to see where the plot goes. But you and I have both talked far more about the characters and the stories. And I think that was the true enduring legacy of the series. So that ends our discussion of Life with Archie the Afterlife. I want to once again thank Shaxper for joining me here on this podcast and also for setting up the Classic Comics Forum in the first place. And I want to invite all of our listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard, please join us at ClassicComics.org to discuss comics. And in the upcoming episodes, I will be discussing other comics with other members of the Classic Comics Forum. So stay tuned. Stay tuned.